1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to go through verses 1 through 4 today. As Peter ends his letter, he's wrapping things up. He's been addressing the church there in outer skirts of Rome and modern-day Asia and, and Turkey and all these churches, and he's been addressing them by way of what they're to do in a world gone mad that the government around them is slowly self-destructing and the civil unrest is, is ramping up and the persecution is happening and inflation. And man, back in those days, plywood was $100 a sheet. You think we have a bad man? It was crazy back then. And Peter gives them, this is so important, Peter gives them instruction. This is actually really, really important. Peter gives them instruction, not how to escape, not how to make it easier, not how to get away, but he says, instead, I want you to redeem it. I want you to redeem it. I want you to take the bad that is being dished out to you, and I want you to use it as a platform and as a backdrop to glorify God and to, listen, show others that Jesus is real. See, oftentimes we pray for deliverance, don't we? Lord, deliver me. Lord, I mean, even Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, is there, you know, any any other cup? No, okay, I'll take, any other way we could go through this? No. We're going through it because in going through it, the darkness, the devastation, the depravity, the depression, everything you go through in life is an opportunity for God to shine brighter the truths and the glories that God gives to you and me. It's like a jeweler would do in a jewelry store. He would display his greatest jewels, his precious stones on a black backdrop. Okay, you've seen, you've seen that before, right? The black velvet backdrop, you know, just to kind of pop out those jewels. And so too in our lives, sometimes it gets very dark. It gets very hard. Let's just be honest. I don't like that. Anybody like that? Anybody like it when, the, when, the, when it gets hard and dark and things are difficult? Man, how'd you guys sleep last night? Anybody sleep good last night? By the way, I'm still working on my sermon. I'm only about 80% done. I'm, I'm like the master procrastinator. I'm going to finish my sermon today by the time the 11's over, and so we'll see how it goes. Here's how it happened yesterday in my life. Okay, I kind of just procrastinated throughout the day, and I've been studying all week, but I just didn't really pull out my computer and start typing until late in the night, and I, I typed until about 11.30 last night. I was about eight pages, nine pages into my notes. I got them all here, but I don't know what they say. I got to see if they any English in there, and so I'm just typing stuff out. About 11.30, I realized I better go to bed, and I'll just get up early, you know, 5.36, and, and just kind of get back into it, so I went to sleep, and I woke up in our house. We live in Agate Beach, and at 4.45 this morning, the power went out in our area, like all 32nd Street, all the way to 71st Street, and the way we sleep as first Man, we have fans in every single room so nobody can hear anybody, right? You know what I'm saying? Amen. I don't want to hear anybody sleeping. I don't want to hear anybody snoring. I don't want to hear anybody talking. I don't want to hear nothing. So when the power goes out, it is eerie silent, like, <sighs> and all of a sudden, it's like the opposite effect. It gets so quiet, everyone wakes up like, Whoa, you know, like zombies out of a deep sleep. So I'm walking around my hallways at 4.45 last night saying hi to my daughter and my sons, and they're all trying to get up, like, time to get up. Like, no. And anyways, it has nothing to do with the sermon except I'm apologizing in advance that it's just been a rough uh, last 12 hours, 36 hours. We're going to see how we do today. Let's read, actually, 1 Peter 5. Let's just prime the pump that way. I want you to settle in, though to this idea and almost get ready for it. I mean, I'm all about like preparation and I'm not a dummy. I'm gonna make things as easy as possible. Yet I believe that the future for this church, actually I know historically now as we look back, it wasn't gonna get easier. And there's a lot of predictors of doom and gloom and in 2021, it's gonna get, gonna get crazier, it's gonna get crazier. Well, I agree, I don't know when, I don't know, I don't know how, 
And I'm not vying for that, but it's going to happen. And a lot of Christians get surprised when things get more difficult. And this is why it is imperative that we're prepared before they get more difficult. See, Peter's not writing to the church in that day, listen, telling them how to get out of it. He's writing them, telling them how to live through it. This is incredible. This is really important, especially for the American church, because we're, we're pretty good at getting things done. We're actually not very good when it doesn't go our way. We, we throw tantrums, we, we call lawyers, and we get mad and offended when it's not perfect. Write our legislators and senators and complain to somebody. Peter's writing to a group of people who had no rights. They had no hope. Their only hope was just to glorify God in the process of suffering. We like to call it here at South Beach Church, suffer well. I actually texted that to a friend of mine who's suffering this week. And he responded by saying, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> I knew I touched a nerve. Oops. And so I, you know, tried to explain it to him. Suffer well. Christians are designed by God on purpose to suffer well. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to the 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Unfair, unjust, not right. And yet, if you know the story, they stood tall. They were willing to sacrifice it all. They had two sets of faith that they were using, two muscle groups. One, they said, God will deliver us, yo. It's pretty strong, like, whoa. Name it and claim it, good job, guys. <sighs> then they also said, but even if he doesn't, even if we become marshmallows, s'mores, it's okay. We'll burn for God. And they had faith to die. You guys know what happened, though. They went into the fiery furnace, and they didn't die, but instead, a bunch of other things happened. Number one, they were bonded before they went in, and those ropes were burned. Isn't that crazy? The only thing that burned were the things that were holding them back. I don't want to go through trials. doesn't sound fun. God says, well, the trials are what loosen the things that are binding you, Luke. The trials change you. You come out better. Everybody who's gone through a trial would say, ain't it true? Ain't it true? Their ropes were burned. Second thing that happened is Jesus showed up in the midst of them and fellowship with them. He was right there with them in the fire. There's a lot of people here today. Your deepest desire is just to be closer with the Lord. It's a good desire, isn't it? It's a great desire. You know what it might come through? Some fire. Talk to a few seasoned saints here that have gone through fires and they would say, yeah, I didn't. I would wish it on no one, this cancer this divorce, this illness, but I'd never been closer to Jesus in my life. Not only did their bonds burn, did Jesus show up? This is what I'm getting at here, Peter's letter. But the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar saw it, it impacted him. He pulled out the three amigos, asked them some questions, and then became an instantaneous believer. Nebuchadnezzar gives his life to God. He's like, all right, new rule. Instead of bowing down to my statue, and if you don't, you're going to die, everyone has to be a Christian or I'll kill you all. You know, it's like, okay, a little rough start there, Nebby, but we're going we're gonna to go ahead and go with it. And 
Nebuchadnezzar became a believer. Listen, how? By watching people suffer. Suffer well. So Christians are to be in the world, but we're not to have the world in us. You heard this before, right? We're of the world, but not, no, no. We're in the world, but not of the world. It's kind of like a boat. Boats are real good in the water. As a matter of fact, boats are meant to be in the water. They're kind of weird when they're out of the water. A boat is supposed to be in the water. But when the water gets in the boat, it's a different story. So to you as a believer here today, God has you in your neighborhood. He has you in your family. He has you in your vocation. He has you in your experience of loss and difficulty, trials, tragedies, moving forward in order to rid you of the things of this world in order to give you an opportunity to get closer to Jesus from all the distractions and also to be a witness to the people around you. We learned this last week, that as days get darker, Christians need to be brighter. This is really fun, by the way. If you're trying to figure out your purpose right now in life, like, what am I doing here? What the heck's going on? What is my life all about? By and large, as it gets darker, you are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and to be brighter in everything you do. That's your main objective. Don't get so absorbed in the things of this world, distracted and weighed down. That's the whole intention. Now, today we're going to segue into chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and two things I want you to write down. If you're a note taker, there's little notes in the backs of your chairs. You can write this down or jot it down. As it gets darker, Christians are to be brighter. Second point we're going to talk about today is as things get difficult and trials increase, listen, leadership must equally increase. As things get difficult and trials increase, leadership must also increase. Peter specifically writes to the elders of the church. And he gives them instruction on what they are to do, seven things to do, and what they are not to do, three things not to do. I'm going to read them to you now. This is specifically for the elders of the church then, contextually. It's for the elders of the church today, globally. But it is also for everyone who is in a position of influence or leadership or value, or structure, man or woman. There are principles we're going to extract today that, listen, will help you be the best you. Okay, raise your hand if you're you. Everyone identifying with you today? Good job. Just identify with you. This is really fun, because each one of us have somebody we're leading. Matter of fact, let's just start with that. Raise your hand if you're a leader. Okay, I'll ask it differently. Raise your hand if you know someone dumber than you. How many of you guys instantly thought of me when you, you know? <laughs> Everyone's a leader. Everyone is ahead of someone somewhere. It could be an older sibling. It could be in your position at work. It could be just in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you've been saved for two years. And your best friend got saved last month. God has put you in their life as a leader. It could be that you're called to be an elder. We'll talk about the calling. There's a threefold calling upon elders of the church. 
Yet to me, I just want to spread the love this morning. Instead of doing an elder teaching only, I'm going to teach it by way of leadership. Each of us are leading somebody. This will change the way, listen, you bear the responsibility of life. It'll change the way you look at yourself in the mirror, the way you set your agenda, set your calendar, the way you make decisions. When you realize that somebody's looking to you, somebody's watching you, and you might be leading one person, you might be leading 10, you might be leading thousands. It's awesome. And when you find yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm going to suffer. What? And people like Nebuchadnezzar are going to be influenced, and they're going to see that Jesus is real. Funny story about Jesus' real sweatshirts. Yesterday on TikTok, how many of you guys have been on TikTok before? <laughs> Even if you've been on TikTok, don't raise your hands. I don't TikTok, I don't do TikTok. But what happened was this. Somebody made a TikTok video somewhere, I don't even know where, and they're wearing a Jesus is Real hoodie. And the video is actually entertainment only. It's absolutely silly. There's nothing spiritual or valuable about it except for that message alone. And so the video went viral yesterday, and it has over just in one day half a million views. And this girl's wearing this Jesus is Real shirt, and so we've been getting an email every 10 minutes at South Beach Church asking, hey, can I get a Jesus is Real hoodie? Can I get a Jesus? It's funny stuff. It's funny stuff. I'm not kidding. Like every 10 minutes, somebody from Georgia, somebody from Florida, somebody from North Carolina, somebody from all over the place, everyone, I saw this video. Anyways, influence. Our whole goal is to lead others. To be a leader is hard, isn't it? I've shared the story about my daddy sitting right there when he asked me to help him with an event when I was 19 years old. I remember it because I was surprised he would ask me. And what he asked me to do was to help organize the youth group at the Newport Foursquare Church, and we were doing an event where we were serving food to everyone at church. Maybe it was a fundraiser, and my dad was the main cook, and he asked me to organize the youth group and to have food run from the basement to the, to the top and back and forth, and he asked me to do it. I remember when he asked me to do it, I was offended because I don't want to do anything. 19 years old, I'm making my own decisions, Dad. Sure, I still live with you, but leave me alone, you know. <laughs> and I just remember it because my dad saw within me a gift of leadership, an ability to, to lead others. I didn't see that in me. It took me a long time to, to settle into that fact. I didn't want to be a leader. Not, not really. It's been said before that heavy lies the head that wears the crown. And a lot of times, people want to be leaders until they are the leader. And yet the reality is, is God has called each and every one of us to use our platform, our gifts, <gasps> our air that we breathe for God's glory and for others' good. This is why you exist. This is why you're here. This is why things have been dealt to you in your life. There's been loss, there's been tragedy, there's been difficulty in order that you might grow nearer to God in the leadership that he wants you to walk in. Let's read verses one through four. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, 
Shepherd, here's what he tells them to do. Number one, shepherd the flock of God. If you have a King James version, it says, feed the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Peter giving instruction to the church, instead of an escape and a way out, a directive and directions for living their lives for other people to see that Jesus is real. He says at the beginning, look at verse one. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Then in verse five, he says, likewise, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. The word elder appears in 1 Peter chapter five, three times. Let's quickly talk about the word elder so you understand who he's talking to contextually. I used to think that elder meant older. How many of you guys make that conclusion in your mind? Like if you're older, you're an elder. And in some circles and in some organizations, just being older makes you an elder Okay, that's not necessarily true or required for Christianity. You don't have to be older to be an elder. To be an elder literally means to be mature in God, to have gone around the track a few times, around the block with the Lord. You've logged in some hours with God, with Jesus, with the word. You're a mature brother in the Lord. You're a mature leader. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be older all the time, but it does mean you must be mature every time. Okay, can I get an amen from somebody? You've got to be mature in the Lord. I remember when I was first invited to elder meetings at the Ashton Christian Fellowship, I was probably 25 years old, and I would just sit there, roll my eyes in the back of my head, like, ah, these guys are so old, you know, and I just want to get out there and do stuff and save the world. What are we doing here? And I just remember, I'd, I'd repented. I'm, I'm making fun of myself. Hopefully you see that. And, uh, and I realized that the older, or should I say the elders at the Ashton Christian Fellowship that God had called to serve the church, to govern the church, to lead the church, to, to serve and oversee in that way were a gift. Every church in the New Testament has the ultimate obligation to identify elders within their church. There's lots of graces and freedoms on how and when that goes about, when a church begins and how it starts up and how those elders and how many elders there are to be appointed. And yet this idea of eldership is biblical throughout, and it's seen in the scriptures. And I'll tell you what, there's a couple things I want you guys to consider. Here's the way to determine the position of an elder. It's threefold, threefold. Number one, God points to the man. It says in Ephesians chapter four, if you're a note taker, verse 11, it says, and he himself appointed, and then it goes on to list the fivefold offices of the church government. God appoints elders. God chooses first, God will point to a man to be an elder in the church. An elder is simply, by the way, the first amongst equals. I want to say that again, because any leadership position you find yourself in, you too, if you're the leader, you're the first amongst equals. This is important because our world is all about equality right now, and everything's got to be the same and same pay and same this and same that. Listen, we are equal in value, but we are all different in roles. Someone give me an Amen. We're equal in value. Men and women created equal in his image, but there are different roles and responsibilities within the church of Christ, within the family of God, within husbands and wives and moms and dads. There are different roles within businesses, okay, within a sports team, within any organization. There is, has to be order, and the scriptures lay that out for us. There is the first amongst equals. 
This is confusing. This does bring tension. And I believe God designed it that way on purpose. Because if you don't have a first, if you don't have a leader, if you don't have somebody leading, okay, there's not, nothing's gonna get done. You're just gonna disagree and self-destruct. And I think we call that America. This side of the group thought that was funny. <laughs> you guys don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways, you need strong leadership. But there has to be that value and that worth invested in one another. Number one, God points to the man. Number two, check this out. You point to you. If you're going to be an elder in a church, there's going to be something inside of you that yearns and burns to serve the local church with your best days, with your days, dollars, and deeds. I'll reference 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, Paul writes to Tim, young pastor Tim, by way of elders, and we'll go into that maybe next week. And he says, if anyone among you desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good thing. In other words, God's going to point to the man, and then the man, he's going to just not be able to stop thinking about the church, the kingdom, the lost, the saved, the sheep, the lambs, the stuff, and he's going to desire that work. This is rare, but it does happen. Something inside you, I just, I just want, I want to show up early. I want to stay late, and I want to say yes to everything, and I want the church to succeed. I'm checking in. I'm praying. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm working. I'm doing this. Not everyone is called to that same degree. If you're an elder... God's going to point to you. If you're an elder, you're going to point to you. And the third thing we see, if you're an elder, not only will God point to you and you point to you, check this out, other people will point to you. Other people will identify and confirm, yeah, that's an elder. That's a called person. That's a called person. Matter of fact, Titus was instructed, go appoint elders, go point to people. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they went to the churches that they just started and they pointed to people. Now, in 1 Timothy 3, I was going to read the entirety. It gives the qualifications of an elder. We're not doing that today. We might do it next week. We'll see. This is the workings of an elder is what we're looking at here today. To the elders among you, Peter says, of whom I am one. And he gives them instructions, seven things to do, seven, three things not to do. Let's just read verse one again. Hope you guys are checking this out. And by the way, maybe you're not an elder here today. You're not called by God to serve in that way. And you don't feel that in yourself and nobody's pointing to you in that way of church leadership. You are though, however, a leader. God has called you to be a leader. Who are you? What's going on? Settle into it. Identify yourself as a leader. This will change the way you serve your family, serve your business and serve your community. It'll change the way you buy groceries. When you go in there, not just as a consumer, but as a... <laughs> That was the kind of, that was mean. I'm sorry about that. I say it a lot, but not enough. As a, instead of a consumer only, you go in as a contributor, not just a consumer, but a contributor. It's how you come to church. Am I going to consume or am I going to contribute? When I go to the store, when I, go, when, I, when I look around my house, point to yourself. And then ask yourself, do the people around me see me as a leader? Look at verse one again. It says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partake of the glory, that will be revealed. Then he gives them the instructions, shepherd the flock of God. But before he does that, Peter gives, I believe, the most important ingredient, descriptor of an elder. I who am a fellow elder among you and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glories to come. I need everyone to look right here. The most important thing about you, whether you're an elder, whether you're Peter, 
whether you're a mom or dad or husband or wife, the most important thing about you is your understanding of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that are to come. If you know what Christ has done for you, if you meditate on that, if you take communion as often as you can, do this often in remembrance of me. As you do this and handle the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, remembering what he's done, and you remember what he did for you, you're going to become a more influential and a more dynamic leader. You're not going to spaz out. You're not going to tap out. You're not going to run out of gas or out of breath like I just did. <sighs> I just bent down there. I almost passed out. I'm going to do it again. Guys, I just, I, I, do, you, do you get this? Do you ever get, you ever get lazy and weird? Okay. You're so lazy you didn't even raise your hand. <laughs> I get lazy, I get weird. Listen, until I come back to the cross. Until I join a circle of prayer group and I'm like, oh my gosh. Do you remember what Jesus did for you? Do you remember what Jesus did for you? You want to run your race well? I want to run my race well. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Often remember it. Spend time at the table. Meditate on the blood, on the body, on what Jesus did for you, and you will find yourself fired up. And he doesn't stop right there. I want you to see I'm not making this up. He says, fellow elders and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter understood what was to come more than you'll ever understand. You know what I'm saying? Peter was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard the Father's voice. Peter was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah appear in their glorified bodies. He was there when Jesus rose from the dead. He was there when he walked on water. He was there when Jesus performed miracles. Peter saw it all. And he says, guys, can I just tell you, stay fired up. There are some glories that are going to be revealed. It is going to be worth it. Don't slow down. Don't throttle down. Don't tap out. Don't take a diversion. Don't take a distraction. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Not only because of what Christ has done, but because of what Christ is going to do. I mean, if you're looking for any sort of encouragement, any kind of excitement, it's Peter. He said, you guys, <laughs> wow, it is mind blown. Because I get weird, believe it or not. How could that be? I mean, even this morning, even this morning, I was just, I was just walking around going, is this, is this day going to happen? Is this really going to happen? This is a crazy day, you know. Kids are running around, just chaos. And, and it was cool. The Lord just said, Luke, lead well. Lead your kids well. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Do everything you do well. It's going to be worth it. Based on these verses right here. And maybe you would with me go for just a minute into your mind and consider who's saying this. This is Pastor Pete. This is Peter Piper, picked a peckle and put his foot in his mouth, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter, Peter the one who failed miserably. Do you think it's odd that Peter, one of the biggest failures historically in the New Testament, gets to write two leaders on how to lead well? Does that encourage anybody but me? One of the biggest failures in the New Testament was restored. And Jesus even predicted his failure and said, when you are restored, lead. Lead. How am I going to do that? By the sufferings of Christ and the promise of the glory to come. You can be restored. You can be restored. There are things we do here on earth, horizontal sins that have various ramifications, repercussions. The restoration process is, is different for everyone. Peter denied Christ. Paul killed Christians. 
James and Jude, writers of the New Testament, Jesus' little brothers, mocked him in John chapter 7. There is restoration for men and women who have failed, who have blown it, who have missed the mark. I'll bet you there's a bunch of people listening or sitting here today who would say, yeah, that's, man, good job, Luke. Do it, bro. I'm all messed up. I got a past. I got a history. I got addictions. I got a record. I got stuff. Okay? The sufferings of Christ pays for that. Be restored. Be set free. And walk in the grace and in the mercy that Jesus gives to you. It may very well be the difficulties of your failures you walked through was the education and investment God gave to you to be the man or woman God wants to use you in the future. Most of you would agree that that's exactly how it looks. The question is, is are you going to rise into that? The most important thing about you is your understanding of Jesus Christ, both his sufferings and the glory to come. I just want to keep talking about that. Verse one, I just want to, because if you're stuck, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it's linked to verse one. You forgot that it's going to be worth it. You forgot that he already paid for it. Somewhere you forgot. You got distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus warned of that, didn't he? He said there's going to be some trees popping up from the word of God that get choked out because of stuff. Have you ever just gotten taken for a detour by the things of this world? Where you're just so into this next project, you're so into this next investment, you're so into this next thing. It's not even a bad thing. You should probably still do it. You probably shouldn't stop doing it, but you should do it with a different mindset. Because there's glories coming. The glories that will be revealed. Well, now he tells us seven things to do and three things not to do. You think we're gonna be able to get through this, guys? Give me a break. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. First thing he tells us to do, feed the sheep. Why does he say that first? Because that's the first and foremost of importance. Shepherd in the Greek is poema, which literally means feed. Feed the sheep of God. Take care of the sheep of God. That's the number one thing he tells us to do because if you have healthy sheep, healthy sheep reproduce. A lot of people are into church growth and multiplying Christians and evangelism programs and get the word out there, okay? Healthy sheep produce healthy sheep. And a healthy sheep is produced through being fed the word of God. This is not just by way on Sundays like we're trying to do here, but your life every day as you feed yourself with God's word, daily getting into God's word, you're gonna become a healthy sheep. Some churches, and I don't wanna divide unnecessarily, some churches use the Bible and they teach from it. Some churches teach about it and some churches teach it. Some teach from the Bible, some teach about the Bible and some teach the Bible. They're all three different. We try at South Beach Church and Calvary Chapel is our model to teach through the word, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because what you don't need is a sermonette which will produce a Christianette. It's been said you need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Feed the sheep. Notice it says of the sheep of God. Shepherd the flock of God. I've got that circled. It's not, it's not my flock. It's not your flock. It's, God, it's God's sheep. 
You ever taken care of somebody's animals before? Number one rule, don't kill the animals. You know what I'm saying? You ever take care of someone's fish or their hamster or whatever, and they, they tell you all this stuff, and you got you to gotta rub a little peanut butter on his nose or he's not going to eat it, you know, and you got to do this stuff, and his medicine goes under his tongue. He's going to bite you. It's okay. Just deal with it, you know, and you're listening going, what, you know, and and the number one rule is don't kill them. And then the person goes on vacation for 12 days, you know, and you kill their hamster. And you're like, what? You got to buy a new hamster that looks just like it. And you become a liar. And, uh. God says, hey, don't, don't kill my sheep. Feed them. Feed them. It's a heavy word for me. And hopefully it's a weighty word for you in your life. In your own personal life, with your spouse, with your kids. Be people of the word of God. That's the number one thing he says. Feed the sheep of God. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I would point this out. The elders of the church were with the sheep of the church because elders are additionally just sheep. There is a proclivity to see a hierarchy develop where the shepherds and the elders are above the sheep. It says right here, no, no, you're among them. Within here is attention. Please pay attention. This is important for all leadership principles. If you're a business owner or a shift leader or a mom or a dad or a deckhand or a crew leader of sorts, it is imperative and important that you are among the people even while you are leading the people. Yet if you be among them too much or leading them too much, you'll fall into one of two ditches. If you're among them too much, just hanging out, one of the bros, one of the chicks, just one of the, one of the you just, man, you're there. You're going to lose influence and credibility with your team if you're too cavalier. Okay, well, this happens with kids. This happens in relationships at work. But if you are too fixated on being above and not among the sheep, you're going to become aloof. You're going to lose relevancy. You're going to lose credibility in that one. This is, there's a tension here. I actually believe this is why South Beach Church and the pastoral staff and the leaders and the board and the volunteers and the life group leaders, everyone we have, because we're all kind of amongst each other, okay? I only made this stage so tall because I'm so short. <laughs> but really, I am among you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm like right there with you, figuring stuff out, trying to influence and lead, but also receiving that same influence and leadership from the people I've put myself under. Now he goes on to say the second thing that we are to do, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. I got the word serving. I just take that whole thing. It's, that's his own job description. Did you know that to be a leader, it's work? It's work. It's not just a position of notability. It is work. And if God has put you in a position above and among people, be okay working for those people. Jesus showed up on the Last Supper, and he put on the worker's apron, washed feet, stood up, said, I've done this as an example for you. Now go do the same. One of his very last teachings, serving. See, a lot of people want to just be the boss. They don't have to do anything. <clears throat> Repent of that. By the way, you can, you can do that. You can become the boss. You can become the dad. You can become the mom. You can become the coach. You can become the captain. You can become to do nothing, and it's going to fail Jesus said in Matthew 20, 20, to James and John's mom, when she asked, can my boys sit on your right and left? He said, hey, interesting question. If you want to be the greatest, I appreciate that. Here's how you do it. You become the servant of all. Second thing he says to do is to serve. Feed the sheep. Serve the sheep. And he says to oversee 
the flock. Look at verse two. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Literally, this means to be involved and connected to people one-on-one. There's all kinds of different demographics of churches, by the way. There's big churches, small churches. I would consider ourselves kind of a hybrid. We're a big church with a lot of people, but we got a little mind, okay? Sounds offensive, but what I mean by that is we're connected. We really try hard. Lincoln County allows us that. I received some counsel about five or six years ago from a a pastor that I appreciate and I, I respect, and he gave me some counsel I rejected. And his counsel to me was, Luke, you can't be the people's pastor anymore. You can't do it. You're going to burn out. There's too many people for you. He did say, with wisdom, you need to raise up other, other leaders, other pastors and elders to do the work. But you, you can't be going to the hospitals. You can't be going to the jail. You can't be doing weddings. You can't be doing funerals. You just can't be doing it. And I understood his heart for me and understood his platform in the valley there where he's at. And, and I kindly said, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. However, I, I am an overseer. And I care. And it's a call and mandate for all of us to be in each other's lives. Yesterday I drove by Dave. And I was just so blessed when I saw him just thinking about his life and where he's at. And I, I didn't text you today, but I wanted to. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you. And, and Sherry, when she came to the office on Friday, Thursday, and came in to get a chair and got a chance to pray with her. And, being connected to each other. Overseers. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs to know the state of your flocks. This is the church of God. See, the churches, there's many different models out there. Multi-site churches, mega churches, mega pastors. And I don't know anything about that. It's not my problem. I'm not there. I'm here. And we're in a community. And there's people watching online in other communities, and God bless them. We get a chance to take this for a spin and say, I want to be a good leader. If you're a business owner, or if you're a volunteer, if you work in a nonprofit, or if you're a laborer, oversee the people around, how are you doing? Care about them. Well, I don't know if I have enough in me. Really? Really? Jesus Christ had time for the one just as much as he had time for the 1,000. I'm going to run out of time here today. Shepherd the flock of God, verse two, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. That's the first negative thing. He says, don't do it because you have to do it. Do it because you get to do it. This might be a rebuke point for somebody here this morning. You're loving your husband because you have to. Loving your wife because you have to. Loving your kids because you have to. Don't do it like, don't be a leader by compulsion. Rise up to repent today. You ever asked your waiter for a refill on your soda and feel like you offended them? (laughs) Kidding me? (laughs) You know, you ever feel bad? That ought not to be the reaction of a servant of God, not by compulsion. He actually says, but willingly. Okay, you shouldn't need a great motivational speech to serve the people around you. This might be a rebuke point for you today too. Willingly. Christ gave us this example. Christ willingly served, sacrificially gave of himself. My flesh is just so weak. I'm so glad that Peter gives this to us. 
He says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Two things he says. The second thing, a negative context. Don't do it for filthy lucre. Don't do it for the money. I'm going to say this. There are some churches and leaders and pastors that do it for the money. Listen, but most don't. Have you seen this? There are some. There are, there are abusers out there. I mean, there's fleecers of the flock. Just send us $100 and your prayers will be answered, or whatever the case is. And there's, then there's some wacky stuff going on out there. It's shameful. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for filthy lucre. First Timothy chapter five talks about paying pastors. He says, pay them well. That's what he says. But you're not doing it for the money. Read First Peter five. But it's not about the money. Jesus actually warned, be careful of money. Pastor Andy Green, when I was talking to him about becoming a pastor, I asked him, some advice, and he said, well, just be careful of the three Gs. I said, what are they? He said, girls, glory, and gold. And he said, good luck, and he walked away. <laughs> but I remembered that advice. Be careful of those things. Don't, don't, don't be in the, what are you, what are you serving for? Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Again, this idea of serving the church, it's not a have to, it's a get to. This is something you could repent of if, if you're married or leading a business or maybe a captain or a coach or a volunteer. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna hit these last points. I'm out of time, but I'm gonna close with this, uh, this thought. Nor, he says, negative, negative thought number three, as being lords over those entrusted to you. Don't lord over the flock. Literally, don't be masters of other people, but be servants of them. Come under people. He goes on in verse three. But be examples to the flock. Nothing worse than a leader who does the opposite of what he says to do. You know what I'm saying? Do what I say, not what I do. And let me just ask this question. This is a good, there's so many rebuke points today. I mean, maybe I should go back and teach this again. I'll, I will at the 11. You guys can stick around. It's going to be a 100% different sermon, by the way, just so you guys know. So I'll just, oh man. Here's a question. Peter says to the leaders, you're all leaders, be examples to the flock. Here's my question. If every, every single person did exactly what you do, would the church grow? in greatness, or would it diminish in smallness? If everybody prayed the exact same amount that you pray, if everybody served and was willing the same way you are, if everybody witnessed to the degree you witness, if everybody gave of their finances the same way you gave, would there be enough revenue for the ministries and outreach and to give away hoodies like we do? If everyone's, I'm gonna do exactly what you do, would you, ah, you know, don't do exactly what I do. <laughs> Good question. I don't have the answer for you. I got the answer for me. And lastly, he says, and when the chief, chief, when the chief, chief, when the chief shepherd appears, chief shepherd literally means, translated, anybody know? Well, the Greek word chief, shepherd. It means when the senior pastor, when the senior pastor, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm an elder 
among you. But when Jesus returns, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Last motivation, last directive, seven things to do, three things not to do. He says, do what you do for the glory and the rewards that will be given to you when the, shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears. Don't do what you do for accolades, for gals and attaboys now, for satisfaction and success that is horizontal and temporary. Careful. Do what you do to hear that declaration. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your glory. I heard a story of some missionaries years ago who served for 20 years in Africa, gave their best years to villages far away. And they were getting older, and so they made their decision to come home and to retire and to die in America. They boarded a boat and took the seven-day journey from Africa to America. And on that boat back in the 1800s, there was a dignitary that had traveled to Africa as well, a rich man, and he went on a hunting safari, big game and jungle animals. He was famous in the States, and so he was on the boat with them on the way home, and it was kind of, kind of a big deal. And as they came into port there, there was all kinds of flags and banners and welcome home to this rich guy who had come home, and, and the husband and wife sat there watching, going, wow, it's crazy. And they looked for their committee to welcome them home. And it'd been so long and communication was so sparse and no one even knew they were gone, let alone coming home. And the husband began to get a little bitter, a little bit frustrated with what the heck was going on. And his wife saw it on his face and said, honey, what's going on? I said, well, here, no one's even here to welcome us home. And his wife looked at him and said, we're not home. We're not home. This isn't our home. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. May everything we do be for the glory of God and the good of others. This life will soon pass, and only things done for Christ will last. Everyone here is a leader. Everyone here has created influence that God's given to you, man or woman, young or old. Everyone here today has the opportunity to repent and be restored, put back together from your failures. You can rise up today and influence others. Don't lord it over them. Serve them willingly, not by compulsion, not for dishonest gain. Be among the people. Father, would you help us to do this? Would you forgive us where we have failed to do this? Lord, would you even now moving into 2021, not knowing the future, but knowing who holds the future, would you anoint us, Lord, to bear down, to dig in to the things of God. Lord, I pray for restoration in homes, parents and kids, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, brothers and sisters, neighbors, Lord, family members, moms and dads, and aunts and uncles and Grandmas and grandpas. The major source of our body, Lord, is, is, is in homes. The major outworkings of these principles, Lord, I, th I think is seen in homes, in practical matters. So bless, Lord. Forgive us where we've been selfish and prideful and aloof. Help us to, Lord, take these things into account. Bless us, we pray. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, would you anoint us now to do these things for your glory and for others' good. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Grow in these things. Walk in these things. Take it for a spin. Don't let this life get away from you any more than it already has. In Jesus' name.